The stage is dark, but the conversation is just beginning. Welcome to the Utah Symphony's Ghostlight Podcast, a behind-the-curtain look into the world of classical music and the artists who make it. I'm your host, Jeff Counts, and I'm joined today by soprano Abby Rethwish. Hi, Abby. Hello. Welcome to the show. It's so great to have you. It's great to be here. So you are a part of the Resident Artists Program at Utah Opera. We have previously talked to Sarah Coit, so we know a little bit about that. So why don't you tell us about you in particular? Tell us about your background, how you got started in this art form, and what brought you to Utah? Sure. I started in music with just singing in choirs, and I had a really musical family, so kind of that way. And then I did some musicals in high school. Mm -hmm. But when I got to college, I started out more in French horn, and I kind of found opera through French horn. I was playing in the pit of Bonatti's The Consul. And during um, the papers aria, I just fell in love with, with the singing on stage and just knew that rather than being in the pit, I wanted to try being on the stage. So that was where I really, the moment I knew I wanted to do opera, but it took me a little while to get there. I ended up getting my undergraduate degree at Simpson College in music education Mm -hmm. and then taught high school choir for a little while Mm -hmm. and then got my master's at Florida State University in opera. And I was at Tri-Cities Opera last year, Mm -hmm. so after I graduated, and then I did all of the auditions last December, and I got this wonderful offer from Utah Opera, and that is how I came to Salt Lake City, which it was the first time I've been to the state was the day that I moved here. No kidding. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you came to singing kind of late, I mean, compared to others. I mean, not to music, but to being a soprano. And I was always singing but not necessarily thinking of it as something that I would that's what I mean pursue exactly yeah so it it took it took me a while to really to really get there and I was surrounded by supportive people that nudged me along I can tell you that as a horn player myself I know I I know that you chose exactly the right instrument as a young person to help train your ears your accuracy oh my gosh (laughs) and also probably uh set you up for being able to survive failure on a regular basis Uh, yes the horn is so hard (laughs) I have just some brutal memories of going up for the high note and Mm. Yeah, sometimes it just it just leaves you hanging out there all by it yourself. Does, so that it does. Now we're not going to talk about failures today at all. We're <laughs> going to talk about the exact opposite because you've recently had a huge career moment. Tell us about Lucia and that unexpected opportunity. You got to perform the title role recently. How did that all happen? Well, I was here at the the production studios. We had a review of The Long Walk, the mm-hmm. next opera we were working on. Right. And uh, Christopher Macbeth pulled me aside and he said do you think you could go on tonight? We, we need you to go on. And I, uh, and I did. And then I went on to take over the whole run of the show and it mm-hmm. was pretty surreal. I can I'd, only imagine. Yeah. I never imagined it would happen. I'm glad that, that I was prepared and that it went yeah. well. Yeah. It, it pays to be ready, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, this is the kind of thing where if you, do, if you do a lot of covering, if you do a lot of understudy work, it might be easy after a certain amount of that to possibly get lazy. You clearly did not. I mean, how often does this happen in your profession? Is it more rare than we think, or is it more common than we think? It doesn't happen terribly often, right. though it's some of the much larger houses like the Met, where they're doing so many performances. Yeah. It's more likely to happen somewhere like and that. And it's big news when it happens there, too. Right, yeah. Yeah. exactly. But but no, not very often. And yeah. I've covered many times, sure. and 
And this was the first time as a cover I've gone on. But you've probably so. always prepared in exactly the same way for the possibility that you're going to get that tap on the shoulder. Yeah. I do want to talk a little bit more about the experience because I think it's really interesting and I think our listeners will, will enjoy it. So tell us what went through your mind when you got the call. I mean, how much time did you have? What, what did you need to do to get yourself stage ready? Well, I had about two hours okay. and maybe two and a half. And, yeah. and the first thing I, I went to the costume shop and they set me up with, with some, they couldn't get me in the full, uh, the full costume, but mm-hmm. they got me in some rehearsal mm-hmm. items. And then I just, I didn't have a lot of time to panic or to, to get scared. I just kind of had to go into go mode. Sure. And the biggest thing was I knew I needed to review the staging just right. to know exactly where I move so that I don't throw off my colleagues. What your blocking was going to be, what stand exactly. here, do this. Yeah, of course. So the um, the stage crew was so generous to mm-hmm. give me about 20 minutes on the stage. And so I just walked on my own mm-hmm. and and just tr- tried to make sure I remembered everything. And, and I felt pretty confident about it. And I, then I got a little bit of time with the maestro just to go over things since it was with orchestra and, and really needed to be. Yeah. There's little concerns like tempo and style and where you breathe and pause. That stuff all matters. Yeah. Especially in something like bel canto where there, there's so much variation. Absolutely. Um, But I did my best to match what Nicole had done. Sure. Did you, were you ready when you got the call to be off book? I mean, you were already at that point. Yes. That's yes. As I mean, amazing. as a cover, yeah. that's that's my job. Yeah, of just course. To be to be ready to to go on to go and do the full thing. So when you got the call, at what point in the rehearsal process was that? I think it was the that first was the, first orchestra dress. The first orchestral dress. Okay, yes. so you got that rehearsal. You got the second dress, and then it was showtime. Yes, and wow. during my makeup call of the second dress was when I was told I'd. That you, you were doing on, opening night. That you and, were doing the whole thing. Yeah. Was the decision to do the entire run made at that point? Or? It was not. It was just that I would do the first two, okay. Okay. and then they would they would see if if Nicole was able to do the rest. Was it stressful to have that question sort of in the air? You know, I mean, I don't. I'm not. I'm not looking for you to point fingers at anybody because no. everyone did the best they could, of course. Exactly. But, yeah. I was game to do whatever they needed, but sure. it was stressful because we started rehearsals for the long walk right. on Monday right. and I have, um, I had three roles in, yeah. in that. So that was the most stressful part was trying to continue working on my roles for the long walk, sure. but keep in the right mindset for Lucia. So it was quite, it was quite a difficult balance. Long walk, if there are listeners in the audience who didn't get to see it when it was performed here, it's a chamber sized opera ensemble of about 17 players. There are multiple roles for your part. Interesting contemporary subject matter dealing with trauma from wartime experience, basically for a bomb diffuser. And incredibly moving story. Very, very, very good production. What was it like to do some of these more intimate, really specific roles at the same time that you were doing Lucia with one of the most famous scenes in all of opera, the mad scene? What was that like for you? I mean, you hadn't expected to be doing those two things at the same time. No, it was very challenging, especially musically, yeah. because I mean, bel canto versus this this more modern music, yeah. just totally different. So I struggled the most with being in the right musical mindset for sure. the long walk. Sure. But the the production team was so generous, and they gave me some days off. They just they were very understanding. Absolutely. Of, of my situation. So you didn't feel like you weren't able to fully apply yourself to both things. It was just dive into both and exactly live, live it and be it. Yes. So uh, we talked a little bit about the mad scene a second ago, and let's be totally upfront. You got rave reviews. You had a hugely successful run. I saw it myself. I can echo everything that I read. You were especially lauded for your performance during the mad scene. That was a great moment for you. So 
now that you've had a little time to reflect on it, there's some distance between then and now. How do you feel about it? I mean, what does this mean to you now? It's still kind of surreal and definitely yeah. still sinking in. But specifically with the Madzine, I didn't really know what was going to happen because you sing through it in a practice room and and you know that you know the notes, but it's such a different beast to get into the character. Mm-hmm. And But as soon as the, I got the costume and the blood on my hands and I just trusted that I had to just go out there and yeah. just be really yeah. not myself. And no, um, you you had to be somebody who just yes. killed somebody else. And it makes <laughs> it and really the and putting putting the costume and, and the wig and the yeah. the blood it it made it so much easier to to separate that for myself and yeah. then to just kind of go with it. Yeah. And it was so much fun. I, I looked forward to that scene Every night. Yeah. It's kind of a duet, too, with the principal flute of the mm-hmm. orchestra. And were you able, in the short period of preparation time, able to get time with Mercedes Smith? No. Actually, Mercedes and I were not able to work together. No so kidding. So it was all just kind of on the fly. And Mercedes was, was just so fantastic yeah. Yeah. to just go along with what I needed. And what a little... That's, that must have been a little bit of magic. Just when that happened the first time, you thought, wow, okay. Yes. And Maestro Wado was yeah. just... He's just the best. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. So wonderful to know he's down there. All I can say is congratulations. I mean, just a, a huge moment for you and just a, what a great performance. And the production did not suffer one bit. In fact, I think you brought something that nobody even expected to the role. I, Like I said, I think your mad scene was particularly compelling. You looked straight up crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Which is exactly well, yes, that yes, is. I do. Compliment. I do mean that as a compliment. So, <laughs> Lucia, right? This is a dream role for a soprano, right? I mean, this is like this is one of the ones that's on the list. I'm curious for you, what else is on the list? What else would you be thrilled to do in terms of a role? Obviously, not under the same circumstances. If you can help it, ideally, yeah. What is what is your list? What are the great roles? Well, one role that I would love to do is Anne True Love in oh, the yeah. Rake's Progress. Absolutely. So I, I sing her her aria, and yeah. we'll see if I ever get the chance to do that. But yeah. I've been fortunate to actually be able to do a lot of the roles that are kind of on my dream list. So Constanza in uh-huh. Abduction from the Seraglio, yeah. uh, Cleopatra and Giulio Cesare. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I actually, a music theater role that I would love to do is Marion Peru in The Music Man. Oh, of course. So maybe someday. Who knows? Opera companies are doing classic musicals more and more. I mean, we, we just did A Man of La Mancha here this season. Um, I think that sort of thing is probably in our future. Who knows? Ooh. Who knows? You might get your chance. Um, <laughs> what's next for you? What's what's next on the horizon for you in terms of performances? Yeah, so coming up next, I'll be covering Don Anna here mm-hmm. right. um, at, in Don Giovanni, and then I'll be at Santa Fe Opera, where I'm singing in the choruses of most of the shows, including Lucia. And, no kidding. Yes, and then I'm covering Ida in mm-hmm. Deflatermouse. Mm-hmm. And then I'll be here next season, where I will be singing Adele in Deflatermouse. Fantastic. Well, lots of great stuff. I know based on what I heard in March that we're not done hearing from Abby Rethwich. There's just no chance of that. I do want to ask you one more question. It's a question we ask all the people on the Ghost Light Podcast. If you've listened at all, you've prepared yourself for this. And it's because of our name. I need to know, Abby, have you ever seen a ghost? Do you have any paranormal stories you can share with us? Why, yes. All right. Excellent. I saw a ghost every night on stage during Lucia. Tell us. Because, so in, in the first scene for Lucia during uh-huh. Reniava nel Silencio, she's right. telling a ghost story. Right. And Julie Macbeth was dressed as a ghost ah. and would come on stage. And so besides that, I can't say that I have any good stories. No but... actual paranormal stories. But, you know, it's funny that you mention that because um, our producer, Chad, will nod his head when I say this. The Capitol Theater has been by far the most popular ghost sighting site 
on the Ghostlight Podcast. Right. It's probably because we live here. It's probably because <laughs> I'm talking to lots of people who perform in that space. Second place is Tanglewood, believe it or not. Pe- oh. People see a lot of spirits there, but I'm surprised you didn't see the actual ghost at the Capitol Theater, which is George. I know you've heard about him. Yes. Yeah. But I have I have not experienced George yet. Maybe next season. I've I've, I've often known George to be a charitable fellow, and he probably thought. She's jumping into this role at the last minute. I'm going to let her be. He was merciful. Yeah, she's, she seems crazy enough right now. <laughs> Abby, thank you so much for joining us on the Ghostlight Podcast. And once again, congratulations. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much. Yefim Bromfman joins the Utah Symphony for a performance of not one, but two of Beethoven's Piano Concerti. Bromfman plays Beethoven, April 14 and 15 at Abravanel Hall. For tickets starting at $21, visit utahsymphony.org. The Ghost Light Podcast is produced and edited by Chad Call. Utah Symphony Utah Opera Season Sponsor is the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation. <laughs>